Okay, everyone, if you want to find your way to your seats, I ask you to pause your conversations just for a moment, just for the end of the service here, end of our gathering. I want to remind you guys about our, our, our uh, resource wall over there. All of those books there are free. Uh, we would love for you to take those books. Those books will help you understand the truth that is found in the scriptures. They don't replace the Bible. But they are a wonderful tool uh, for us to understand in greater depth uh, the truth of Jesus Christ. Because the greater we understand uh, this truth and understand Christ, the greater we will love Him and uh, follow after Him. So that's why we give those resources. There's also Bibles there in front of you. Uh, If you don't have a Bible today, you can open that up uh, to John chapter 15. Uh, And if you don't have a Bible at home, you can have that Bible. We would love for everyone to have God's Word in their home so they can read it. uh, So it's available to you so you can test everything that we do here against that. Scripture is our chief authority, and we want everyone to understand and have uh, access to it. So please take that Bible. Uh, It will be up on the screen as usual, but we're going to be in John chapter 15, verse uh, verse 18, actually through chapter 16. So um, before we do that, though, I would love to give our announcements so uh, you know what's going on here at the church as well as for you uh, online. Uh, You can hear what's happening. So uh, we have community groups each and every week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Uh, We have multiple groups meeting in multiple different ways because of the circumstances. So if you want to attend a group and you don't already, reach out to those leaders, ask how they're doing things, and they can let you know and kind of give you kind of the survey of what their group is like. Uh, We would love for everyone to attend because that's really where the life of the church is experienced. Also, we have a members meeting coming up on November 22nd uh, that evening. So uh, if you remember, put it on your calendar. If you've gone through the foundations class and you have not reached out to me to have your member meeting so you could become a member, please do that. We would love to have all of those meetings happen uh, before this meeting so you can all be there uh, and join in celebrating what God has done and where he is taking us. We have baptisms coming up next week, so if you haven't been baptized and you want to be baptized, we have some people getting baptized, so please come talk to me or another pastor. We'd love to pray with you and walk through what that means and what that profession of faith and that declaration means and why we follow in obedience after Christ in that way. And then lastly, Operation Christmas Child is something that uh, a lot of churches do. We are blessed to get to be a part of it as well. Uh, Sarah Rolson, our kids director, she has a, at, the, at the kids booth, she has all the information there, a sign-up sheet so you can just bring some items or you can grab a whole box and fill that up. Uh, really, it's a great blessing for our uh, Raising Arrows ministry down in the basement to pack those and pray for those and send them off to the corners of the earth and recognize what the gospel does and how it can spread to every nation and everything else. So uh, please remember those things. Um, But now if you would, uh, let's get into the sermon. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and grace. Thank you for all of these things that we just talked about, all the activity that's going on in your church. I pray, Lord, that you continue to build great unity amongst us, with us, for us, And then, Lord, as we do that, give us favor in this city. Give us favor in the surrounding areas where we live and our jobs and our work to bear fruit, to be a great witness and a light uh, for your gospel and your son. It's in his name we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so in today's sermon, we're going to really finish up chapter 15 and also, as I said, sort of spill over into chapter 16, but just for the first four verses. Chapter 15 so far has been about abiding in Christ, being with Christ. Chapter 15 has taught us about how we are made to be part of 
the true vine and how the true vine is, is Jesus, the, the true and only source of life, and how when we abide in Him, He promises to abide in us. We're then able, when He abides in us, to understand and experience His love as well. When we continue on with this life or in this life and in His love, we are to bear fruit in this world for his glory, for his purpose, because and through that love. Are you with me? So we abide in Christ. He abides in us. He allows us to experience his love. And then we take that experience and understanding into the world to bear fruit for his glory and purpose through his love. But there is another type of person in this world. There's another kind of people who exist in this world, a people who don't abide in Christ. And the remainder of chapter 15 talks about this. Uh, Jesus is continuing to speak to his disciples. He's talking to those who love him. That would be us as well. But he now speaks with a warning. So he's talking about love. He's talking about abiding. But now he speaks with a warning about, about what they will face, really about, about what we will face as they do the work that we're all called to do as the church. Now, before we begin, I want you to know that today's sermon is actually connected to next week's sermon. It's actually connected in a way um, where this week and next week is like this uh, sort of two-part mini-series in the middle of these four very theologically concentrated chapters, right? We talked about that, how this is sort of Jesus' last discourse to his disciples, and he's just unloading all of this information into the heads of his disciples, which they will understand better later on once the Holy Spirit comes at the time of Pentecost. So this is, again, just if you can imagine sort of a, sort of a two-part mini-series in the middle of this, uh, these, these four really heavily concentrated chapters. So today... Chapter 15, verse 18 through 16:4 is mostly about the opposition of the world towards the church. And then next week's sermon, which will be chapter 16, verses 4 through 15, that one will be more so focused on how the Spirit's work, how the Spirit works in and through the church. So today is about the opposition to the church, and next week will be more how the Spirit works in and through the church. Now, I told you that because I want you to see how this teaching or this warning from Jesus is connected and meant to be applied to the call again that we all have as we are the church as well. I want us to recognize that we are the church. We are also who Christ is talking about. So if you would, stand with me, if you can, in reverence of God's word, and we're going to read John chapter 15, verse 18 through 16, 4. All right. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you, have not, uh, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the, world that I said, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. 
Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogue. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Have a seat. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for even the challenging passages like this, even the ones that seem a bit frightening, um, a bit uh, difficult to digest. But Father, I, I, I trust you. I trust your word. We do. We trust you. Lord, I'm grateful that we can come week in and week out and throughout our days and hear from you uh, regularly through your word. Be with us in this time as we work our way through this. Be with me as I preach. Thank you for your love and grace in Jesus' name. The power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, now, so this first sermon, like I said, how it's divided into two parts. This first sermon, or these first 14 verses, can be broken up into three parts. The first is the opposition of the world. The second is the promise that the helper will come. And third is about our assurance in Christ. So let's look at the first part first, beginning in verse 18. You can follow along on the screen. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And if you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I have not come to, and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty if uh, they have not been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Now, as we try to understand what Jesus is warning us about here, I think it might be helpful for us to filter this information through a question be helpful for us to filter this, these verses, this information through a question. And here is that question. Why does the world hate Christians? Why does the world hate Christians? But before we look into, before we see how the text actually answers that question, I want to first explain who Jesus is identifying here when he says the world. Right? That's, that's very general. When he says the world, who is Jesus talking about? Because in John's gospel, there's actually three different types of usage of the word world. The first refers to the created world. We see that in John 1, verses 9 and 10. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, the created order. He was the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. 
The second usage focuses in on the humanity in this created world. That would be something like John 3.16. For God so loved the world, the people of the world, that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And then the third is what we see here. The third is the type of world that we see here, which is identifying the part of society that does not abide in Christ. Those, uh, they are those who oppose God, as we see in these verses. Paul describes this for us, this society or this system of the world in Ephesians 2. What we're meant to understand from there is that these people uh, of the world are lost. They're what we call lost. They're blind to their sin and disobedience. They are considered to be dead spiritually. They follow after the prince of the power of the air, and that this is the spirit that is at work within them right now. That right now, this is the spirit that is at work within them. They're considered to be sons or daughters of disobedience, not sons and daughters of God, like Christians are. Back in John 8, Jesus told the people who didn't abide in him, he was talking to the Pharisees, but also... uh, Uh, bringing in everybody else, those who don't abide in him, that their father was the devil and that their will was to fulfill his desires. Very difficult. This system and people of the world in that way that Jesus is using it, again, is like this generalized, this junk drawer term that contains all people and plans, and organizations, and activities, and philosophies, and values, or, or, or whatever you can come up with. You name it. It's really everything and anything that makes up this current world which opposes God and His word of truth. Anything that opposes God. This is what Jesus is talking about when He says, the world. So, back to our question. Why does this world hate Christians. There's four reasons that we can see from our passage. The first one, because we identify ourselves with Christ. The first one is because we identify ourselves with Christ. Verse 18, uh, verse 18 and 20, in fact, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If, he, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Here we see, actually, the very heart of the issue, the very heart of the problem. If we confess that Jesus Christ is our master, which every Christian would, If we confess that Jesus Christ is our master, then like he said back when he washed his disciples' feet, we must be willing to do for each other what the master has done for us. You remember that? We must be willing to do for each other what the master has done for us. And that is to love and to serve one another and share this good news of truth with everyone and anyone who will listen to it. This is our call. This is our commission from Christ to do what he has already done. But there's a warning here and a promising encouragement to us. So in these two verses, there's a a warning and there's a promising encouraging for us as we follow after Christ. As we do this, 
Not if we do this. As we do this, if that person, whoever that person might be, persecutes Christ by denying his word of truth, as many of them did and as many still do today, then they will persecute you as well. If they persecute Christ, they will persecute you as well when you stand for biblical truth. You will come up against that kind of opposition of the world. But, here's the promise, but if they obey Jesus' word, as many did then, again, and as many will do and do today, they will obey it when we share it as well. We need the word of truth to go. When we need to encourage one another, don't give some moralistic platitude. Give us the word. Give us what quenches our thirst because we who love Christ will heed it and love it. We will drink it in with joy. It is the truth of Christ and our response of faith in Him alone that binds us to Him, that binds us to Him and separates us from the world. We identify with Christ. The second reason why the world hates Christians is because we no longer belong to the world. We no longer belong to the world. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I, this is Jesus, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world system that we're talking about functions on conformity. It functions on conformity. As long as you fall in line, as long as you follow the, the broad path, you and the world will get along. As long as you toe the line of the world, you and the world will get along. But we're not meant to conform to the world, right? We're not meant to conform to this world. We are a new creation. Our old self is gone. Our old self has passed away. And I've said this before, I've, I've, I've encouraged you with this before, you've encouraged me with this before, we're not meant to live for Christ and long for the world. We cannot live for Christ and long for the world. Maranatha, you cannot have one foot in the world and one with Christ. It just isn't that way. The Bible, in fact, rebukes that kind of double-mindedness. Instead, you're meant to be salt and light for the world. Salt and light for the world. Community group leaders, if you're in here, this is a great thing for you to have your group study and meditate on. Maybe you should uh, take this this week. Matthew 5, write this down. Matthew 5, 13 and 16. Have a discussion about what it means to be salt and light in the world. It's important for us to recognize what that is. You can even go back into our sermon archive. We preached on it a couple years ago. You can go in there. Hopefully that would help. Because the kingdom of God operates differently than the world. The kingdom of God just operates differently than the world. It is countercultural. Jesus doesn't conform cultures to make them all look the same. Instead, he lovingly transforms all cultures. He redeems every culture so that the, so they ultimately and fully glorify the Father. He doesn't conform, he transforms, he redeems cultures so they ultimately and fully glorify and honor 
the Father. Are you with me? This is what the gospel does. This is what we proclaim. This is the truth that we cling to. The third reason why the world hates Christians is because the world is foolishly arrogant about its sin. The world is, fully, is foolishly ignorant. Satan has binded their minds and their sin has blinded their hearts. Verse 21, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. They're ignorant, unknowing. Again, this is because Satan has blinded their minds. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds. He has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And... Their own sin has blinded their heart. This is Ephesians 4, 17 and 18. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of your minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Satan has blinded their minds and their sin has hardened, has blinded, has kept the truth out of their heart. The fourth reason is that the world will not be honest about its own sin. The world will not be honest about its own sin. Verse 22 and 25 through 25. If I had not come and spoken to them, then they would not have been guilty of sin, but they now have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. This is not saying that if Jesus didn't come, then people wouldn't be guilty of sin. So it's not saying that. It's not saying that if he, if he never actually showed up on the scene, then we, in fact, wouldn't have to be accountable to the truth, to the law of God. That's not what this is saying. Rather, because Jesus came, because Jesus is the perfect and full and final revelation of God, he is informing them and us in turn that the people who are of the world are now guilty of the kind of sin that cannot be forgiven. That's challenging. He is literally saying that they are guilty of the kind of sin that cannot be forgiven. Once they've witnessed firsthand the miracles that Jesus did and heard the teachings that Jesus taught, both of which testify that he is who he says that he is, the Son of God, the second part of the Trinity, they still deny him the honor and they blasphemously proclaim that the words and works that he did were of the devil. Therefore, they weren't the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. This is what we do if we deny the truth of the Scriptures. This is what we're guilty of. This is what the world is guilty of if they deny the truth of Scriptures. It's it's the same thing. And here is what the Son of God has to say about that topic. Matthew 12, 31 and 32. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven will be forgiven to people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, 
But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, neither in this age or in the age to come. Why so heavy-handed, Jesus? Why so heavy-handed here? Well, as we've already learned, the Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us all things about Christ. It's why he was sent. He is the one who teaches us all things about Christ. He is the one who brings about our conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment, which is in fact what we're going to be talking about next week in that sermon. We'll discuss that even more in the coming verses. So what, why does the world hate Christians? Because we identify with Christ. We don't belong to the world. The world is foolishly arrogant. And the last one, the world is dishonest about its own sin. It's why the world hates us. It's why the world hates those who follow after Christ. Now, I've gone long on that first point. I'm not going to go as long on the other two. I realize I've gone long on this fourth point, but I wanted to do that because I want us to process that truth. Because as we look at the world from the given perspective of what seems like promised persecution, if we left it there, we could walk out of here scared. It seems like a promised persecution. I also want us to see, though, that Jesus promises not to leave us alone in this world. Isn't, he promises not to leave us in this world by ourselves. He promises that he has provided for us a helper. Not that he will any longer, but that he has provided us a helper. Everyone that has true faith in Christ, everyone that has been given salvation in him through the cross by faith alone, in Christ alone, we have currently, he's given, past tense, a helper. We who believe are permanently in possession of God's Spirit. And this permanent promise is meant to build in us courage to do what we're given life to do. Verse 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus' disciples at this moment in history were with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry. So contextually, he's talking to his disciples and he recognized that they've been with him from the beginning of his ministry. They saw all that he did. They heard all that he taught. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they would write the new covenant testimony of Jesus Christ for us. This is what they were doing, how they were bearing witness about him through the Spirit. This is the gift that we have. This is the, the, the gift, partly of the gift of inheritance that we have of the truth of Jesus Christ. And in a way, but also far differently, the same is now true of you. Every true believer, in the same way, but also in a far different way, this same truth is true for you. You have Christ's teachings. You hold them in your hands right now. You have Christ's teachings. You can see and understand because of the Holy Spirit all of his works. Amen. 
And because we too possess the Holy Spirit, we too are meant to bear witness about Jesus Christ, our King, to everyone. That's what we are called to do, to evangelize. Remember, we must recognize the theme of this entire book of James, or John. This entire gospel is meant to bring people to faith. He tells us this. He says, I wrote all of these things. This is in his last chapter. I wrote all of these things for you so that some of you might come to faith. So that you might come to faith. We possess the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we're meant to bear witness about Jesus Christ, our King, to everyone. And as we do that, Jesus doesn't want us to be naive as we walk through this world. He doesn't want to leave us to be naive, which is why he tells us about the opposition that we're going to come up against. We are going to come up against opposition, but he also wants us to find our assurance in him. He wants us to build in us. He wants us to find our assurance in him. He wants our hearts to be emboldened by his truth, unashamed of his gospel, and fully confident of his possession of our salvation, right? No one can snatch us out of his hand. Nothing in this world. 16.1, I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogue. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Here's the call for any true disciple of Christ. Here's the call. We are sent out into the world because it is here that we are meant to bear fruit for the King. We are sent out into the world where we recognize there is opposition, but we are sent out there for a purpose to bear fruit for the King. Now, this may seem obvious, and it's unlikely that you or I are going to face the danger of physical death in our lifetime, at least not here in Pickerington. We're probably not going to face the danger of real physical death, but how about this? We all balk at the potential of our reputation being slaughtered in the synagogue of popular opinion. We all want to be thought well of by the world. And we're scared that our reputation, our friendships, will be slaughtered in the synagogue of popular opinion at work, neighbors, maybe with our so-called friends, maybe even at home with our families. So because that's true, let me ask you this question. It's true because it's true in me. Is Jesus Christ enough? Is Jesus Christ enough for you? Is what he has done on the cross for you enough for you to stand up for him? Amen. Are you willing to be the light in a dark world? Realizing that the mission which we're on contradicts the very nature of this world. Are you confident enough in Christ to be in the world but not of the world? In the world, but not of the world, we should be alarmed if the world finds us to be similar to themselves. Because listen, if that's true, this is what this means, that your life is pleasantly unconvicting. 
If the world finds you similar to them, then what they're saying is your life is pleasantly unconvicting to me because the gospel separates in this world. If you're a Christian, which I believe is true of everyone who is a member here at Maranatha because that matters to us, we affirm your foundation of faith. We affirm your faith in Christ. If you are a member here, that is a key element of how you must, the only, one of the, the main things that, to make, that allows you to be a member here, you must truly be a Christian. So if you're a Christian, you should expect to face rejection because of your faith. You should expect it. The degrees may vary. The places may vary, but you should expect rejection now. We don't need to seek it out. We don't need to be so arrogant and unloving to go and seek out this kind of rejection. But rejection of us is rejection of the one who sent us into the world, which is Jesus Christ. We need to know that. Rejection of us as we walk in the light is rejection of the one who sent us into the world, which is Jesus Christ. And the rejection of Jesus Christ is rejection of the one who sent him to the world, which is God the Father. The world around us is set against Christ by Satan. By Satan. But we as Christians, we don't fight against flesh and blood. We are called to love and serve God and the people around us. And the people around us, our neighbors, not just one another, but the people around us. And yet we do fight against the rulers and authorities of spiritual darkness that have a grip on this place that we live in. We got to recognize our call to love God and love people, but we also don't need to walk naively into danger as we realize that there are elements and rulers and authorities of spiritual darkness, evil, that have a grip on the people of this world. One final quick note, and I'll be done. I realize that this passage is heavy. I realize that this passage can be scary, even concerning for some of you as you look at your own life and feel the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit of the fruit that you may or may not be bearing in this world. But while we do what Christ calls us to do, we must remember that Jesus knows, that Jesus perfectly knows all things. He perfectly knows all things, which is why he gave us the Spirit, which is why he gave us his Spirit to lead his church through the trials that this life and the world around us hurls at us. He knows that we're just jars of clay. He knows that we aren't able to do this on our own, that the jars of clay contain the very power of God within us. This is why he gave us his Spirit to his Church, there will be opposition to the gospel in this world, but there is a completed promise of God's Spirit within us. Therefore, we do not have to fear this world. Walk out knowing the truth, remembering this as you go and do what Christ calls us to do. Remember, Maranatha, that we can feel assured because our eternal salvation is secured by Christ. If you would please pray with me. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the assurance that you give us through your spirit. Thank, excuse me. Thank you, Lord, for sealing us for salvation. 
Thank you, Lord, that you are perfectly faithful, that you love us more than we love ourselves. Pray, Lord, that as we work this out together, even in our community groups, as we discuss what this means and how we challenge and hold each other accountable to bear fruit, to be salt and light in this darkened world. I pray, Lord, that we lean heavily on you and that you grow our faith and that you continue to remove doubt from us. Thank you for your word where we can turn to daily to hear from you and be guided by you in your truth and a remembrance and assurance of our own salvation. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.